Top of the day, everyone. It is episode five of Hot Garbage True Crime Edition. I'm your host, Nisha, and this is my beautiful, wonderful best friend and co-host. Who the badass. How has your week been coming along? My week has been hectic. Hectic as hell. Uh, anybody that goes through moving and goes through life uh, on short notice and just hectic things happening in your holidays, they say it's the time when we have the most suicides. Oh, it uh, is. My prayers go out to you. So anytime, anybody that's going through hard stuff right now in the holidays, um, you need some blessings. You need somebody to be there. I'm trying to send some of my positive energy to you in love. Yes, absolutely. And that this has been a weird holiday season. And, and honestly, it's been going by fast this whole year. Oh, This year's been kind of wild. I think COVID has changed a lot of society in total. And simultaneously, I think um, people are broker than they ever were before because, oh, yeah. you know, the stimulus checks ain't landing like they was. Oh, yeah. Did you see and, that thing where even Jeff Bezos told everybody to be careful what they're buying? Yeah, with the who? Jeff Bezos even was like, you know, just manage your money and be careful of what you're buying. Oh, uh, like, because, yeah, yeah it, it changed people's spending habits. And people yeah. Got kinda, people got kind of used to being on your butts and not working. Yeah. And going back in. The, the great thing is, is it's actually being a mandate that a lot of companies are saying, you know, because it's been a waste of real estate and money, uh, that it's going to be a mandate for people got to go back to work. Mm-hmm. And the work from home jobs is kind of going to be null and void too. Yeah, because it's actually you know uh, even though it's a better customer service, yeah, people have said that had a better customer service from people that have worked at home, uh, people that are working at home, saying that they feel like they you know the life is better and easier and more manageable. Yeah. However, it is a huge drop in productivity. Yeah. So they're saying that that people need are going to be going back to work and going back to that usual uh, nine to five. Oh gosh, mm. that sucks. Yeah, so life is, and for people to going back to that, I think it's going to be the hardest thing. That's I why think I so, that too. Yeah. It's going to be a crazy transition. Like, there's going to be a lot of negative, grumpy, mean-ass people out in the streets. Oh, gosh. Well, are you we ready? high productivity, bad customer service again. Oh, that sucks. I cuss out customer service agents, so I'm not worried about it. Like, uh, if they're mean to like me. A, you do seem like a cusser. Yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a smart aleck. <laughs> yeah. I'm a smart ass type of person, but you seem like you go straight to getting on somebody. Yeah, like only if they're mean to me. Like if they're cool to me, then that's fine. Like you know, I kind of like return back. And the only difference is they can't cuss because they're at work, but I can cuss, and I just cuss them the fuck out. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if they're mean to you if they're doing their job and not saying things <laughs> you like to hear. No, like you did to have the right to cuss. You'd be like, I thought I paid this bill. I'm sorry, man. They said it's forty nine, forty fifty nine. Like, bitch, I told your ass see, that that they wasn't mean to you. You. That was just them telling you that you didn't want to hear that they see on here on their computer screen that you ain't pay. So, see, I don't know. Am I like a mean person? You are a mean person. I, I give a good amount of people, especially over the phone. I, <laughs> I am lenient to them because I had a phone job like that and people calling about their money. And let me tell you, it, it's, it's some fuck shit. It is some really crazy shit when all you're literally doing is reading off the screen and they would they would cuss you smooth the hell out and act like you're doing this personally to them. Yeah. And took their money from them. Oh my god. You know, so yeah. I am way nicer to people on the phone. Yeah. And patient. I've, I've had my kids and my girlfriend have to snatch the phone from me because they're like okay we'll go ahead and take over the call from here. Yeah because you sound I know you the type. You the type to go in and they're not saying nothing mean. They're just not telling you what you want to hear. Yeah. 
So you need to work out what is the problem or the malfunction of why it is showing something different than what you have. I do That's need to work on my is. anger issues. Yeah, time. yeah. <sighs> Especially with bill people. They are really not out to get you. Not the person that's calling your ass. The company, yes. The company yes. out to fuck you in the ass <laughs> left and right. But how do you cuss a company out? Like, I don't I know. Mean, I still haven't figured that out. Find Jeff Bezos' number. That's yeah. what you did. <laughs> <laughs> Man. <laughs> or buy a big-ass sticker of the company and cuss that shit out all you want to. But the point is, it is our blog. You can blog. People will be listening to it and going bad. Uh, but the the representative that's on the phone is not the company, man. They right. are really somebody who is doing their job, yeah, you know, and getting their nine to five and trying to feed their kids. That makes me. I just want to apologize to all customer service representatives, and I think I'm going to make it my New Year's resolution to turn over a new leaf. Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you, it's kind of like Fight Club. Those are the people that's from Fight Club. Yeah, it's customer service. I go online a lot now, though, so I barely talk to customer service. Maybe that's why, so I don't have to like cuss people out or anything. I go online a lot. Uh, yeah, I love online, but I hate online. Because some stuff, you do want to talk to a person. Yeah. Like housing and all that shit. You want to talk to a person. Housing, banking, shit like that, you want to talk to a person. Yeah. Man. Well, are you ready to um, for our topic today? What is our topic for the day? We are talking about Napoleon Beasley. Have you ever heard of him before? Uh, I've heard of Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> no. And Napoleon Dynamite. That movie would be busting. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, way, way far off. This guy is a guy that lived in Texas, and so we're going to hear his tale today. Now, this story is really, really crazy, and it's going to bring the, um, it's basically going to bring it to question is, should kids that's under 18 years of old, should they be sentenced to the death penalty? Yes. So that's, like, <laughs> I knew you were going to say yes. You yeah. know, I'm Before down for it. Shoot them down. <laughs> I don't so care. Even if, I feel like maybe like 14 and up, you kind of get what you're doing. Yeah. 14, 15, you know what you're doing. Like, you can't be manipulated. Yeah. But at the same time, you are knowing what you're doing. Well, we are going to talk about a guy. You've seen was... the movies. I think, it, I think it's uh, Black Hawk Down. They be having little African kids shooting it at nine with an AK 47. Oh. <laughs> What should he be tried as after he shot you? Well, mm-hmm. after we hear, well, after we hear the story, we're gonna talk about it. Okay. And actually, um, just um, a fact. So, uh, from two thousand five, the United States actually did overturn it uh, to where because we were the last state that actually did execute kids under eighteen. But um, so you mean the United States or Cal- the California the state? No, United States. So the United, so the United the, the States last country does not do. Well, okay. What did I say? You said like the last state. I was what confused. did I say? The United States was the last state. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking about two of these. So the United States was the last country that was um sending kids under eighteen to execution. And so what they were saying as of two thousand five, they went ahead and they made it illegal. So now if a kid under eighteen does something, they can get sentenced to life with no parole, but we can't sentence them to death. And they were saying that we were the last country that did that, you know, because all the other countries they hadn't did that anymore, you know. So because we're progressive, yeah, because they were saying we it's can unconstitutional. That, no, no, no. We can see that this person made a decision. You know, he decided to, to jump in blood gang or crip gang and throw up his side back when he was ten. So by the time he's fifteen, he done already caught two bodies. <clears throat> so well, you know what I'm saying? So like, come on now. Don't act like this dude is like in need of remorse and not knowing he's in the environment, he's ready to kill again, and he will kill again. Yeah. Well, and so if you, and I told you before, if you choose the side, wear the jersey, wear the jersey, <laughs> you choose to be on the side of shooters, killers, then understand that you can die, you live by the gun, you die by the gun. That's what it is. Understand you can get shot. Well, <laughs> let's say, well, Napoleon Beasley, 
He was born August 5th, 1976. His parents' name was Ireland and Rena Beasley. So basically, he grew up in a really small town of Grapeland, Texas. So I can tell you guys right now, don't commit any crimes in Texas because Texas has the highest death penalty. Oh, Texas is yeah. good, yeah. They, will kill, they are not playing around. Oh, no. Now, they were a pretty upper-middle-class family, you know, so he had an older sister named Maria, and he had a younger brother named Jamal. So, in 1994, he was a senior in high school. He was actually a star athlete on the football field and track. He was super popular. He was elected president of the senior class, and he had planned on going into the Marine Corps after he graduated. Mm. So, students, teachers, principals, coaches, they all stated that he was a model student. And it was rumored, though, that he had been telling his friends that his dream was to drive a Mercedes Benz. And he had been saying, hey, I'm going to be driving a Mercedes Benz to school really soon. You just watch. I already see where you're going with this. <laughs> now, on the side, it was saying that, you know, he had started carrying a gun. He started he was started on the side dealing crack. So it was like he had kind of two sides to him. He was this really good student. But then on the side, he was like a drug dealer. You know, he got caught up with the bad people. But nobody knew about this side of him. Oh, so now, now we go to April 18th. So this was the night before the crime in question. Now, Napoleon was with his friend, Cedric Coleman, who was 20 years old. They were driving around in Coleman's car, and Napoleon told him that he wanted to steal a car. He wanted to steal a car so bad, he said he had already told all his friends that he was going to drive a Mercedes-Benz really soon. And he was like, I kind of wanted to like know what it's like to just kill somebody, you know? He also wanted to feel that, too? Yeah, he said he kind of wanted to know what it's like to kill somebody. And this is the athlete, the good kid. Yeah, this is the good kid. And at that point, he had a gun with him when he was out with his friend. Now, Coleman told him, he kind of talked him into not doing that because he, he was ready to do it right then and there. He was like, no, like you need to at least wait a day or something. We don't need to be spontaneous. So he talked him out of it. Everybody went home. You know, nothing happened, right? Yeah, Coleman's the gangster kid raised in the hood. Right. Coleman, yeah. So Coleman's the 20-year-old. That was That's Napoleon's friend. So okay. they was kind of driving around. But um, so basically the next day, though, Napoleon borrowed his mom's red Ford Probe and he had he brought along with him a sawed-off shotgun and a 45 semi-automatic. Now at that point, he then went and picked up Coleman, which is his friend Cedric, and Coleman's younger brother, his 18-year-old brother. Um, and his 18-year-old brother, you know, kind of just was there, Don or Dominic. So the three of them drove around town, you know, and at that point, Beasley spotted Alexis. So he was like, okay, I'll just go ahead and sell it for that one. I said a Mercedes, but it's a Lexus and it do. But so they tried to follow it and they kind of lost it on the freeway. So they had to let that one go. So they drove to the city of Tyler, Texas, and they pulled into the parking lot of a Mexican restaurant, right? So when they pulled into the parking lot of a Mexican restaurant, he then spotted a Mercedes Benz, which is exactly what he wanted. Uh-huh. So Napoleon then got out of the car. And he was going to carjack the Mercedes. He had the gun. But the funny thing about this one is the man, I guess he was oblivious. He didn't see him. So he kind of just got out of his car and walked into the restaurant. And I was like, huh? I was like, was he just kind of not paying attention? Because I, like, I, you know, I'm aware of my surroundings, but this guy was walking towards him with a gun. I was Girl, like, that was crazy. This is white man. Oh, right. A white person would walk in front of your car from between other cars in the parking lot of Walmart. And not even realize. And not it. even look two ways. Yeah. 
So and then we'll look up at you like you did something wrong when you beeping at him and I had to stop hella hard. Right. So him being oblivious might have saved him. Yeah, him being oblivious is normal. Yeah, because he just got out and just went in the restaurant like it was nothing after a man was walking towards him with Right, a gun. he was probably texting too like, the fuck is going on with Carl? <laughs> God damn it. I told his ass. Send in those papers. Send them in now. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't take it. So... Basically, when that happened, the man just walked in the restaurant. And so Cedric, he ended up driving. So they switched. So Cedric started driving Napoleon's mom's car. And the three of them started driving around again. Right? So Cedric at that point was like, you know, maybe we should just go home. We tried this twice and it didn't work. And then now this is Cedric. Cedric said, well, Napoleon threatened to kill him if he did not continue. Like on with the mission of trying to steal a car. So the three of them started driving, still around. And then... Uh and so they switched seats and Napoleon ended up driving on the highway. So on the highway, they spotted a Mercedes Benz. Now this Mercedes Benz was owned by John and Debbie Lutick. So 63 year old John and his wife, Bobby had been married 41 years. They had two grown children named Michael and Suzanne. When you say it like that, I know this is about to be bad. This is about to be really bad. Yeah. This is about to be horrible. So everybody brace yourselves. Now, Michael was a, Michael, which was um, their oldest son, was a federal appeals court judge. So keep that in your back pocket for, because we're going to come back to that. But I just wanted to let you know that they have two grown kids and one of them is a federal appeals court judge. I mean, we don't, that's, that's easily how we're going to circle back to that. I can <laughs> see what's coming. Well, go so, ahead. <laughs> now, now, John had served in the Korean War and he was currently retired. Um, John and Bobby, they were very active in their church. They were both retired. They were liked. They were respected. Um, and as a Christmas present, John had enrolled Bobby in a night class at Southern Methodist University in Dallas. So she was actually studying to get a master in divinity. So that's how devout they was in the church. So every week he would drive her to school and then he would wait because it was a night class. He would wait for her and then he would take her back home. They would go home together. So this is where they were coming from on April 19th, 1994, when Napoleon and his friends spotted the car. So they were both on the highway to get <coughs> Now, as the Lutics pulled into their driveway, and they had their little dogs with them, too. So they pulled into their driveway. Napo- little dogs. Yeah, that they is had a little... nice add of facts. Yeah, I always like to say when there's animals. Mm. And so... As they pulled into their driveway, Napoleon parked, they pulled into and parked behind them to kind of block the car in. So now Beasley got out with the 45 and he grabbed John and he threw him on the ground and he fired a shot that hit him on the side of the head, but it didn't kill him right away. So Bobby then got out of the car when she saw him do that to her husband, she started running towards the garage, but Beasley fired a shot at her, but he missed it. So unbeknownst to him, you know, he had missed. So she just kind of fell and acted like she had got hit, which was really smart. I would have did the same thing. Yes, yeah, that's what you should do. right. So at that point, Napoleon went back to John because he realized that he wasn't dead. Now John held up his hand to kind of protect himself, but Beasley fired the shot into the palm of his head, um, in the palm of his hand, and it went through his hand into his head, and that killed him right away. So he then stole the keys to the Mercedes Benz um, out of the pocket. And mind you, he's standing in a pool of blood because there was a whole bunch of blood coming out. So blood just got all over his shoes and everything. Now, at that point, Donald Coleman, which was the 18-year-old brother, he got out of the car with a shotgun, right? So Beasley asked him to go and check on um, Bobby to make sure she was dead, right? 
And so he said, if so, Donald was like, okay, yeah, it looks like she's still alive. So Beasley told him to go ahead and shoot the bitch. So Donald was going to go ahead and do it, but he got scared. He didn't want to do it. So he lied to Napoleon. He was like, yeah, she's dead. He said, I, I looked and yeah, she's definitely dead. Right. So now they're thinking both people are dead. They get back into the car, you know what I mean? And they, <laughs> so, but, so basically Donald and Cedric got back into the Ford Probe. Napoleon, that was his Mercedes. He wanted to drive it off. So he tried to drive it off and he didn't know how to drive. So he actually ended up crashing the Mercedes into a retaining wall during that time. A retaining wall, like at yeah, the house? Yeah, at the, at the house. It was like he a never, wall. And it, he, he, it, he tried to pull it off and he like crashed it. Wow. And so they, and so they, then they got scared and was like, oh shit, like we can't take the Mercedes. So at that point, Napoleon just jumped out of the Mercedes and got back into the Ford Probe and they all just drove back home to Grapeland, right? Meanwhile, they, you know, they dumped the guns and everything like that. So now Bobby, Naturally. yeah, so Bobby ran over to the neighbor's house, called for help. It turned out the neighbor was a nurse. So she didn't know like if her husband was dead or not. When the nurse got there, it was adamant that he was dead. It was just, you know, there was too much blood. They tried to save him and they couldn't. So the police found the Mercedes a few blocks away. And of course the two dogs was inside. So they were fine. They didn't get hurt or anything. I'm glad uh, I know you're happy. Yes. I'm happy that the dogs didn't get hurt. Mm. Days after the murder, Beasley confided into one of his other friends about what he had did. And that's so, how snitches get shot. Yeah, right. Like, so I'm like, you, like, that. nothing was at this point tying it to you, but you go and tell one of your friends from high school what you did. That's crazy. So, and you sound sympathetic here. Well, uh. I was like, like, I, I, and we're going to go over this a lot, but I don't understand when you commit a crime, why do you tell people what you did? Like, that is the number one, do not do that. Like, Well, in his mind, he believes that he didn't actually do it you know, uh, somebody else did it. And, you know, he didn't actually shoot. No, it Beasley, the guy that did the shooting was the one that told his friend in high school. Remember, Beasley is the high school guy. So, uh, yeah. Beasley didn't hit her, though. No, Beasley was the one that, no, Beasley, so Beasley was the one that killed the guy. He told his friend Donald to go shoot uh, her. But Donald got scared and didn't shoot her. So, Beasley was the one that told him, like, can you go check on her to see if she's dead? Oh, his name is Beasley? What was Napoleon what was Beasley. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. You know what? Should I call him Napoleon or Beasley? I, I, I have it now. Yeah. Napoleon and Beasley are the same person. They're the I'm same thinking person. Beasley is a first name. Yeah, no. Okay. No, yeah, so Napoleon Beasley is, you know, the high school guy. Okay. Now, the brother's name are Cedric and Donald Coleman. Okay. So, yeah, yeah he was using first and last and different Yeah. Names. Okay. That's what it was. And Donald was the one that got scared. He didn't kill her. He lied to Napoleon and says she was dead. So at this point, the brothers haven't technically shot anybody. Napoleon was the one that did all the shooting. And Napoleon was the one that made the call? Yeah, No, Napoleon was the one that told one of his friends from high school that what happened. He was like, yeah, this happened. I, I don't know. He killed somebody. Like, basically running his mouth. Oh, right so I was like, yeah, that's... And so, so at, at that point, after he told his friend what he did, the police got a tip through the Crime Stoppers. So basically... At that point, the police interviewed all three of them. And of course, they was lied to. They lied to the police. But a month and a half later, all three were arrested and they were held They were held for $1 million bail. So Napoleon admitted to his father about the murder. Of course, he lied to the police. He told his father that. Um, and then on July 7th, 1994, the three of them were all charged with murder. The three of them were charged with murder? Well, yeah, but they did come up later. So I, I guess at one point, they all three got held for murder. But they're going to have other charges and there's going to be some plea deals. So I'll go over that too. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, Black so, Lives Matter. Yeah, because the, yeah, the murder isn't going to stick for all of them. Okay. Yeah. 
So now the three of them also received federal charges for carjacking. And prosecutors stated that at first they would seek the death penalty for all three of them. So the Coleman brothers were convicted in 1994. Donald, he received 43 years and nine months. And this is this is just for this is for the carjacking. And because keep in mind, they haven't did the murder trials yet. This is just for the carjacking. You so, get 43 years for jacking a car? Yeah, so it, it was for the the carjacking and for the carrying of the weapon. He got 43 years and nine months. Cedric received 40 years and five months. And this is just for the carjacking. Now, there has been some speculations that, yeah, they didn't get them on the murder, but it's almost like they're trying to, you know, I don't... Extend the charge. They're trying to that's extend good. the charge. I, 40 years for jacking a car? For jacking the car. No, that's insane. Now, that one was insane. Because they didn't, I mean, they did not pull the trigger. Keep in mind, they were not the ones that pulled the trigger at all. Yeah. They were just, one of them was driving. One of them didn't even have the gun. One of them didn't even get out the car. So... Now, Napoleon's trial started in 1995. He had an all-white jury, uh, which is what his attorney was trying to argue. Napoleon refused to enter a plea, so the court entered a not guilty plea on his behalf. And at trial, the prosecution laid out their case. There was bloody footprints. There was a bloody palm print on the Mercedes. Um, there was shell casings that matched the 45. A female relative admitted that she bought the guns with his money. So Napoleon, because Napoleon, you have to be 18, you know, to buy a gun in Texas. So I guess Napoleon had given her money and she went and bought it. Um, and then Napoleon's ex-girlfriend from high school stated that she saw the gun and the drugs with him before. And um, she stated that he had been selling drugs since he was 13. So I guess like they tried to, they used that against him as well. Now the Coleman brothers also took the stand and testified as well against him. So against his trial and Bobby testified. So keep in mind, she wasn't dead. So she was able to testify as to what she saw and everything. Uh The defense did try to punch holes in the, the Coleman brothers testimony by pointing out, you know, the inconsistencies by the police interview. And now, so they originally said that the Coleman brothers originally said they wasn't involved at all. They later started giving out the info, you know, as far as them being there and as far as, you know, Donald getting out the car. He was about to Let me to tell shoot. you something. Right. That's why I'm saying the Black Lives Matter. And that's uh-huh. why you guys don't get good, honest pleas from people who's actually trying to do the right thing. Uh-huh. You guys, the cop system, as you coming in telling them as you being this quote unquote accomplice, uh-huh. and I use accomplice. Mm-hmm. very loosely because mm-hmm. I do not like that word of how you some people become an accomplice when you are completely helpless in this fucking situation mm-hmm. and you then get charges that are extreme enough to where you're like that's why I'm not going to tell you mm-hmm. I don't want to tell you the whole truth and so cops always you it's like they put you in a scenario where they perpetuate lies you, I have to sit here and make sure that this sounds the best way where I'm innocent mm-hmm. on this in, encounter. Yeah. And people have to premeditate and pre-think about what they're going to have to say to your ass. Yeah. Because you're going to overanalyze and simultaneously you're going to uh, always have some type of way where you're going to sit here and put this person in with it too. Yeah, absolutely. And so, one thing I know too is they'll, they'll sit here, if you even tell one thing that's not the truth, they'll hang on to that and it discredits you, period. Right. And that's what they do. Or if you're a person that's, that's what makes people, and I will tell this in the truth, that's what makes people just in the hood scared to even call 911. Mm. They're scared to even be the bystander on the side because somehow, somewhere you're going to link it to me mm-hmm. and I'm going to go to jail too. 
That's yeah. what it always seems to happen. Like, you guys never have the, okay, I got this information, and you go free. Mm-hmm. It's always, they go to jail, and then probably go to death, and you get less jail time. Yeah. And be happy. Right. It's like, oh, at least you didn't get the death penalty, which we're going to see. This is what's going to happen in this case. I hope something, I hope death penalty does happen in this, and I'll tell you why later. But yeah. go ahead. I just wanted to do a little intermission. No, right that there. was, yeah, I know that, because that's right on the nail on the head right there. Um, So, basically... So the defense attorney brought in a lot of character witnesses, uh, you know, just to basically at this point, they couldn't say that Napoleon didn't do it, but their thing was they were trying to bring in character witnesses, like, you know, teachers and parents, people that could say attest to his character, like, no, he don't usually do stuff like this, you know? Um, and Napoleon did not take the stand, which is not recommended that a lot of, you know, people, defendants take the stand, but a lot of defendants do. A lot of defendants want to take the stand because they're like, they can tell their side. But on the flip side of that, the prosecution is going to tear you up. So it's not always good for you to take the stand. No, not. But especially because of the the deeds in which it was transpired, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to state it against. I, this is, I, this, like I said, I'll tell you my opinion. This story is wild. Uh. To me, it's pretty cut and it's pretty right. cut and dry, man. Well, I think the wildest thing was he didn't even know how to drive. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh my god. That to me is the saddest thing. So, on March 13th, 1995, the jury deliberated for about an hour and a half, and they sentenced him. They found him guilty. So it took him them two and a half hours, and they sentenced Napoleon to death, the death penalty. So they based their decision on the belief that the killing was done intentionally and that if he was let out he would commit more violent acts so basically the discussion is basically it came around about them intentionally killing john because what they said was john was a 63 year old man so if he wanted to steal the car did he really have to kill him like he could have definitely overpowered him definitely took the keys so the killing did not have to happen at all <clears throat> I mean, if unless he was a sixty-three-year-old boxer, because I heard of a sixty-three-year-old guy punching the shit out of somebody trying to jump in the window. Oh well, yeah. So you know, well, yeah, you can't but... discredit that. But I guess we're assuming that he wasn't a, a boxer; he was just like a regular old man, you know. Well, that, and I feel like if you shoot a guy in the head one time and he's living, let it, let him live. Right. He's a he is a warrior. Yeah. At sixty-three, the fact that he got shot in the head one good time and still was fighting your ass. All right, well, he wasn't fighting, but put his hand up. Yeah. You should not. But I. But let me tell you this. Uh, I, is I am a person who believes in warrior, warrior ways. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know. Like, I believe, I wouldn't say I have the blood of Zulu, but I think, you know, somebody that was kind of mixed with a Zulu had, like, fuck one of my great-great-grandmothers <laughs> but they wasn't even married on the side. <laughs> oh, my God. So she didn't, he didn't claim the kid. But, you know, she sat here and lived on it. He was a, she, he had, she had a son, and he was pretty strong and shit like that, and he just moved on and lived with his life and lived in this tribe, but he had some Zulu blood in his ass. Oh I God. feel like that is how Zulu... Has gotten passed down to me. Just, just, uh, just in talking about great warriorism, I believe, I believe also some Spartan having something like that too. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I got some Spartan blood in me because Spartans is the shit. Um, but there is the honor code in which you hold of what of what you feel of attack when you feel like, hey, this is a battle, this is an interaction, and I will attack you on the code of warrior shit, and I don't feel no remorse. But then there's some, and something. Let me tell you. 
Now, if you seem like you're a tough, ass, a tough enough female, like Layla Ali, or you seem like you got some fucking hands, like you're mm-hmm. Bruce Lee's daughter or some shit, I'm gonna fight you like a motherfucking dude. You about to get these hands? Yeah. Because I'm not about to let my ass get whooped by well, no yeah. female neither. Because I, I, yeah, Layla Ali, I think you definitely mad because she will put you down the ground. Yeah, no, Layla will put you down. She's the type of she flinches at you. I'm yeah. If she if she tries to do one of them fake punches, yeah, I'm flinching. Don't be trying to play me, bitch. I'm not gonna sit here and just get socked by you and just stand there and have my chin out. <laughs> Don't you want to act manly, though? You know. I want to act prepared. <laughs> Fuck your manly talk. This is somebody who got hands. I'm not letting my chin be out for you, bro. Like, oop, no, I'm putting it back. Like, whoa, what you trying to do? Because I'm going to try and move like some Roy Jones and give you some Mike Tyson stuff. You know what I'm trying to yeah. say? I'm going to hit you like that, too. Because it's because you got hands like that. That's what I'm saying. The Chinese do it. Watch some, watch some martial arts movies. They will whoop a female's ass. Oh, yeah. Telling you now. I do watch Cobra but, Kai. Right? Think about it. If you, if you step in the ring and you do that stance, yeah. you said, I am ready to fight like a man, and you will get your ass kicked in. Because that's what happens. But the thing is, in reality, men do that too. When you do the stance of doing the fight, you're even, I don't care how big the man is, if you do that stance, you said, I'm prepared to fight you and take the consequences of what happens. Yeah. So that's the even ramble, which I'm saying that I believe in the warrior. Is Absolutely. when you come at me like a warrior, I will assess you and I'll be like, okay, that person, even by their stance, they're not really a threat and I'm not going to hit them and I'm just going to restrain them and hold them back and take a couple of hits because I, I, I can tell that they don't have the warrior in them. Mm-hmm. But if I can look in your eyes and look in your stance and tell you have the warrior, we're going to warrior fight. However, with that said, the warriors do know that you don't, you don't go past certain boundaries. The elderly, I have a soft heart for them. I'm not even going to lie. People get past a certain age. They think they can do some shit. But they know they can't. <laughs> you know they can't. Yeah. You see his old ass. Right. Like, you know like, what I'm saying? Yeah. He's like 75, 80 years old. He's like 60, 68, 70 years old. He can't do all that. Yeah. And he think he can. Tell. Yeah. Yeah. But that, but of course he can. But of course he think that. But, yeah, but you should be able to assess as your own strength of warrior to not sit here and attack somebody that heavy that cannot defend himself. Yeah, like especially with a gun. Like, damn, he shot him. That was like... Right? You really <laughs> could have just pulled... You really could have just been like a real scary-ass black man and just pulled a gun on him and yelled at him hella tough and he probably would have believed you. You yeah. smacked him with that thing a couple times. Yeah, Pow! just threw the key. Get the fuck out of here, Charlie. <laughs> He'd be like, I ain't Charlie. I ain't asked you, bitch. Pow! <laughs> He'd just be scared enough. Like, oh, God. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And drag his ass over and be like, bro, now get the fuck on. I need this car. He ain't doing shit. Give me your wallet. Give me your car. Give me your phone. I agree. He gonna sit there. If you tell him to sit down and count to 100, I bet you he would. Yeah. Face down, count to 100. He ain't gonna miss a number. Yeah, what did happen to victimless robberies? You know what I mean? Man, like, what happened to, I'm telling you, that's the Debo times. What happened to you just coming up and smacking somebody up and taking their shit? Yeah. Because this was really excessive. And again, you didn't even know how to drive. You didn't even get down the street. That's what makes me mad, actually. Ah. That's actually what makes me mad, is you did all this of lust of imagination and impulse of a, of a moment planning this and didn't even have the wherewithal to plan to drive that bitch. Oh, my God. So now, in 1995, the Coleman brothers, they both took a plea deal for the capital murders, and they each got a life sentence instead of the death penalty. So they did put the murders on them, but they took a plea deal. So it was just like y'all didn't even pull the trigger. Now that part, now that part, I do have a problem with. I have a big problem with that because you, yeah, I feel like they do that to black people. Yeah, you, they, y'all didn't even. So they basically lumped it all in. It was like, okay, Napoleon got the death sentence. Just be happy with your life sentence. So keep in mind now, they now have life sentence plus forty three years plus the other one got forty years. You know what I mean? Plus, yeah, that's a lot. 
It sounds exaggerative, but that's the reason, one of the reasons, and, and also that you don't want to be quote unquote a snitch, yeah, because you be a suspect. Uh-huh. So that's why also why people don't want to be telling cop shit. Right. You don't want to be involved with it. Yeah, like, I don't want to be involved with your shit because uh-huh. you gonna put me in and say, "How did you know that?" Like motherfucker, don't ask me where I was going, what I was doing. Yeah, I was, yeah. A weed. I was went to the weed man buying some weed. Don't act, don't arrest me for buying weed, motherfucker. Right. I'm telling you about murder. Exactly. Listen to this murder story. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so now they all pleaded guilty for the aggravated robbery of Bobby Lutick and for that now the charges haven't stopped Donald got 24 years Cedric got 20 years concurrently and so at this time Napoleon Beasley is appealing because you know with death penalty cases there is a lot of appeals the defense attorney used his age because he was 17 at the time they also try to say that because the victim was white and he was convicted by an all white jury that that was real, you know. I mean, that was that was used against them, but the appeals were all denied, and the case actually made it to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, the U.S. Supreme Court did hear the case, and that was very rare because usually Supreme Court they always turn all the cases down. But they listened to this one because he was only seventeen years old. At that time, fourteen people who committed their murder when they were sixteen or seventeen had been executed in the U.S., and half of them were in Texas in that in the past twelve years. So a lot of states had already at that time had changed their laws. They were working Let on. Let me tell you something now. Because mm-hmm. I thought about this earlier. What? Texas is the state that has the death penalty for the longest, mm-hmm. and they also are the state that allows people to carry their own firearms. Oh yeah. In person. Yeah. But do you know that the state? with the lowest fucking robbery crimes and stuff like this. Oh, that's that part I did not know. Yeah, they're the lowest in the country. Wow. Well, it is. I, I think it's firearm crimes. Wow, so basically they make it legal and then people won't want to do it. Like, right, because <laughs> you know somebody going to bust your shit. Yeah. Yeah. Be- you sitting here putting more restrictions on the civilians makes the criminals, because they're, they're not buying their guns legally. Yeah. You're making it hard for the people that are. And so they're like, there's less and less people that got guns. It's less and less likely that I'm running into somebody that has one. Yeah. So when I meet somebody, I'm going to be OP. Mm, that makes a lot of sense, though. That's why you have people I that's built like, like Lil Wayne. They five foot four and they're 102 pounds. And they the biggest motherfucker on the block running it because nobody else got guns. Yeah. So he the only person that got one illegally because he ain't registered for that motherfucker. Right. Yeah. And he get to sit here and, and run a whole shit and run civilians. Y'all going to buck around. And have the um, y'all gonna have the opposite effect where you kind of control society and society just gonna start catering to the gun sides, mm. and they're gonna be like, well, we just gotta listen to people that's here to shoot us, and so they'll overrun the, the the guys with the guns are gonna overrun society. I mean, oh, that's wow. what happened in the Middle East. Yeah, guys with guns overrun society. Wow. So you guys are putting that on yourselves. Just letting you know, there, government. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Um. So when the U.S. Supreme Court heard the case, um, now there was a vote because there's six people on the Supreme Court. It was a vote it split three and three for three of them thought he should get the death penalty. The other three didn't. But you have to have a majority. So at that point, the execution was not going to be stopped. So three of the court justices actually recused themselves from hearing the case. Remember I told you that was going to come back up about the guy's son, Michael Lutig. It was because he was the federal court appellant judge. And so three of those, those um, judges, they were actually friends with him. So they was like, they can't hear the appeals because of course they're biased. And so they refused, they re- recused themselves from it. So they didn't be on it and they well, had to replace honorable. him. Yeah. That is really honorable. And, um, 
So now Beasley, Napoleon did speak out from death row. He said he was remorseful. He said he didn't like to give explanations or excuses. He said that whether he was 15, 16, 17, 21, or 25, it should have never happened. He said... He's, Who, huh? Who's this that said this? Napoleon. He's talking from death row because they always interview the death row inmates. So... The, they interviewed, so he ain't got no excuses. Yeah, he said he doesn't want to make excuses for himself for what he did. At that point, he had been on death row for eight years. So he was like about 25 years old now. Um, he said he was a changed person. He was no longer a threat to anyone. At a court hearing, he said, it's my fault. I violated the law. I violated this city and I violated a family. I'm sorry. I wish I had a second chance. So there was a lot of people that came out to support him, did not think he should be executed because of his age. Now, Beasley was executed on May 28, 2002. He didn't take his last meal. He didn't have any final words. He just looked over at Lutig's daughter, which was the victim's daughter, and who was in attendance, and shook his head. No, he didn't. It was said that he coughed, he gasped. His head bounced uh, up and down on the pillow a few times. After nine minutes, he was pronounced dead. He was the 19th person executed since 1976 when the person was under 18 at the time of his crime. He was the 11th person in Texas. So at that time, he had been on death row for eight years. His family, before he died, visited him before his execution. And they was trying to kind of suppress their grief because they didn't want to worry him. So at that point, they got a two-hour contact visit because typically death row inmates, they don't get contact visits. You can't touch them. It's usually through the glass. But the last visit, you can go ahead and have a contact visit. Um, and he has said at that point, he was not afraid to die. Dying is easy. It's the living most of us find hard is what he told his family. Uh, Beasley did request that none of his family witness his execution. And his mother said that in some ways his execution was a relief because her son is free. It was like, because, you know, as the family, they put their lives on hold a lot for eight years. You know, they said every single weekend they would go up to the death row, um, um, center and they would visit him. And as I said before in the beginning of the show, this was a regular, just middle-class family. He had no childhood trauma. It was a mom and dad. He had a brother and sister, you know, and it was a mom and dad. They was raising their kids. They did everything right by him. And she never, like she said, she never thought she would go to a prison to visit her son, let alone a death row. So she said it was a huge eye-opener for her because she was like, they're the perfect family. She felt like if they, if it could happen to them, you know, it could happen to anyone because they did everything by the book. There was nothing that happened in his childhood that could have caused this to happen. And she actually was admitted into the hospital for depression. But the good thing is the youngest son, now Napoleon did have a youngest son named Jamal. He graduated from high school with honors and he's off to college. And Napoleon's funeral was a day after his graduation. Um, and um, just in this on a note, there was actually a play created about his life in 2008 that went to Texas and Broadway. And um, yeah, it was called The Two Lives of Napoleon Beasley. And so basically, yeah, that was it. And in 2005, you know, the Supreme Court did rule that, you know, in the United States, we're not going to execute minors. And so as Cedric and um, Cedric and Donald Coleman, they still are serving their life sentence. Uh, I'm gonna let you say what you feel about this first. Well, I mean, honestly, I I feel like the whole thing the the thing was crazy, and I know it sounds crazy, but I feel worse for I feel bad for the mom and the dad as well because as a parent, imagine trying to do everything right by your child, and then they go and do this, and it's like 
You know, I felt for, you know, the mom, I felt for the victim's family. I felt like this whole thing was senseless, but I did also feel for the Coleman brothers. I felt like they should have gotten, you know, something for being there, but I feel like they're spending the rest of their lives in prison. That was a lot, especially since they was willing to take the stand and even testify against Napoleon. Usually there's like a deal or something for that, but it's like they threw their whole lives away too. So, you know, I felt like Napoleon was very selfish. He dragged his friends into it. Of course, his friends had his own mind, their own mind as well. But, and the other thing, Cedric brought his brother out there. That's the only thing I don't like. He brought his little brother out there too. When Napoleon had told him the day before, hey, this is what we're going to go do. And then you bring your 18-year-old brother along for the ride, you know? So I felt like this whole thing was just absolutely senseless, you know? And I don't feel like he had changed, you know? I, I definitely think he needed to stay in there, you know? Who needs to stand? Uh, Napoleon. I definitely don't think he'd have changed. I mean, he just did this for no reason. No reason. You stole a car that you couldn't even drive. And you feel that him standing there would have done what? Well, I was just saying, he just needed to just stay in there. You know, I was happy with the outcome, but I'm sad for the Coleman brothers, even though they made a bad choice, but I don't think they should have threw their whole life away. What do you think about the... I know you said the Coleman brothers, you felt like that upset you too, that they got life plus 40 years, plus 43 years. That was excessive, right? Um, I, sometimes when I talk with you about these subjects, especially uh-huh. because I am taking it in as you're saying it uh-huh. and stating my, my, my front on this, I be, I sometimes feel like I'm back on the debate team and need to write some stuff down. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I can remind I you what a, you said. I was, I was a like, nerd, bro. <laughs> I was a real nerd. I was not that guy. That hey, I like, can remind you what you said. By the way, I'm the one that smokes less weed, so I have a better memory. You were saying about Black Lives Matter and the No, no, I, I have remembered it, but I'm just saying that there's a number of points that I'm going to address right now. Okay. Because yes. this is a three part statement. Yes, please. Of how I feel about this. Um, statement one. Statement one is the parents. This is the fear that every parent has. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot say the rights are wrong on a parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the fear. This is something that is a, a thing that I wouldn't say like a nightmare, but a thing that you, it will haunt your days. It will haunt your memories. It will haunt your, because in the sense of memories is, it will haunt the fact that you'll look back at some of the things that you saw in a, in a innocent way mm-hmm. will then become impure and negative mm-hmm. where you'll feel like that was when I, I saw, I could have stopped my child. Oh yeah. You know, from being this way. Right. Where you feel this feeling of, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say not awareness of your child, loss of awareness but you feel like something you may you could have done wrong better some something that you could have shown them better or told them better it's mm-hmm. hard mm-hmm. it's hard to say it's not it's bigger than regret you start it's blaming weird. yourself for it yes yeah, it's, like, it's weirder than regret yeah. because as a parent you also try to be the example mm-hmm. of what they can do right so it becomes this weird place where it's only like a martial arts movie when there's you know a sensei that wants to beat down the the student that went bad and start killing everybody it's kind yeah. of our star trek it's not star trek star wars when the that's the whole thing of the dark side it's mm-hmm. like i taught you this mark this art of being able to manipulate things and hold them up in the air and shoot bolts and hold this sword made mm-hmm. of light mm-hmm. and you do to do bad shit with it so it's, it's that whole thing where you have this deep passion of that is hurtful yeah to you 
to where I can't, I don't have the, I don't have the wherewithal uh, to speak the words that, that, that can represent how deep that is. Mm-hmm. That as a parent, um, yeah, I'll let you know that there's nothing that you did. Yeah. I'll absolutely. let you know there's nothing that cannot be betterly done. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the reason being is because it's almost always the decision of an individual mm-hmm. and it's having to understand that your child is an individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he made a choice. He made a choice. And, and that and that shows but his little brother graduated high school with honors. So that shows there's nothing on your parenting. Yeah. And as well, you know, um, and simultaneously is that's what leads me to go to the next statement mm-hmm. of him. And then I'll go to the friends on the latter part. Okay. Um, him with that being said mm-hmm. is that it's nothing on the part of you as a parent. Mm-hmm. It's nothing on you as the environment of, of where you rose them and you didn't say the right thing when he made that decision. And it seems like he was very, very, um, strong of mind mm-hmm. and very aware of, of the environment because that's how you're getting classes and doing well in school. And mm-hmm. that's why some people need to take medication so they can make sure they can focus. Mm-hmm. And you, you're so well focused. You're hyper, you're hyper intelligent mm-hmm. is what they try to call, you know, people, you know, uh, who are supposed to be, you know, uh, masterminds in mm-hmm. some things, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be bad or good, whether it be Albert Einstein or whether it be, you know, Joker from the bad, bad thing, or even, um, I think Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh yeah. Or someone that you love, but it's people that are hyper intelligent. Do you say I love? Yeah. And, and Hannibal, <laughs> Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> yeah. You know, but these are hyper intelligent people. Uh huh. Yeah. To where <clears throat> you became aware of what you needed to have. Uh, to live both in which it was functionable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you knew it's not that we could say environment, the nurture or nature, and I, girl, I, I have a whole speech about nurture and nature, which mm-hmm. is funny to me. Um, but it's not it's not any of that, and you you evolved beyond that as we should and we do because we are intellectual beings and believing that we are beings of understanding is you decided to go this path consciously. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I was saying wear the jersey. And that's why he, he was one of the people, honestly, I feel like he was one of the most honorable people of the death in which he had of not saying nothing in regret. And I feel like some people should get a different treatment on death treatment. Mm-hmm. That's what this has opened my eyes to. Like, So it gives society a better understanding. Like the death treatment, that the death sentence that they're getting is supposed to happen. Yeah. I think a lot of people think of the death sentence and it gets overly drawn and people are, that's one of the things that not even just them being in there for so long, but that's That does need to be shortened is the, the misrepresentation of people trying to get of an appeal and trying to get in a sentence and trying to say different things where we even know that lawyers are liars mm-hmm. and you now know that this guy is trying to pull tricks out of his hat to mm-hmm. try and get this person out Yeah, and they get up on circumstances and stuff. And that's not the fact that they are innocent. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they yeah. put innocent on the paperwork and all yeah. that. In truth, that is what does need to be taught to society of the facet of if they are wrong and they truly are wrong and they are remorseful. This is what we believe in Christ for. This is what we believe in religion for Mm -hmm. is that we will be there as the energy to send you to the positive place of you are truly wrong. You were truly wrong Mm -hmm. and we do what's the best for you. And we do not do this out of malice, Mm -hmm. but you will die. Mm 
Yeah. So instead of the appeals, it should be more like a deaf therapy. Yeah. Like a, to understand that you're going to die and this is what happened. Yeah. It's like having mm-hmm. cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to that. The only thing with, you know, we'll go into some cases where people are more wrongfully convicted, convicted too. And it's sad because, well, and obviously in this case, this guy was not wrongfully convicted. He deserved it. But if we don't do the appeals process, you know, there's been people that after they already killed them, they realize that they didn't do it and it's too late to unkill that person. So it's like, we don't have the appeals process and that, you know, that's, that's I think no, there should be an appeals process. Yeah. There should be, but I feel like the timeline is what I'm saying. It becomes too. Oh extensive. yeah, like because some people are only there for like thirty years. Yeah. it's like thirty years. Like, what are we gonna find out in thirty years that we didn't know already? You know, so I think thirty years is a long time to be on death row. Like to be somebody who's fighting and getting the up and down and yes and no, you're messing with their emotions. You're messing with their family's emotions. Yeah. you're pulling the people that are the victims into it too. Yeah, you're pulling a lot of families back into this situation. I have someone who I I work for. And she actually does um, uh, donations with the proceeds that we make from the job that I do. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't like the name job because I'm not, I'm not trying to sell a brand or anything oh, like yeah. that. Yeah. But the point is that she is actually a victim of that. Her father actually had her his head cut off, oh, and she God. has gone back to trial. She's now 42 years old, and she's still dealing with the. And this happened when she, I want to say she was like 16. Oh, that's horrible. She had to horrible. be adopted. But she's still dealing with the courts and going back and forth over her father's death and have to look at his father and his mutilated body and all this shit and photos of all that for this long of her life. Come yeah. on now. Yeah, I can't Come imagine. on. And this is a death penalty case? Like they're trying to appeal it and all that? Uh, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, the victim's family, because you do have to sit through that again and again and again and it's just too much. Right. Yeah, you're the victim, and you're still having to go through this, like for twenty years, and hearing this, and watching. Do you do you want them to become numb? Is that what it is? You're waiting for the moment when they're okay with their dad's head being cut off. Yeah, and I don't think there's ever a moment that that will ever happen. Like, because that's in those crime scene photos, they're gruesome. Right. So to see that and continuously putting people through, and the people that are victims become horribly depressed. Yeah, some people kill themselves. Some people go to some people go on all types of different um, addictions, and that's one of the things that I've learned in going through an accident, and getting a DUI, and learning the things of some people that have been dealing with this shit for years and have mm-hmm. like five or four DUIs and doing all type of stuff, and <clears throat> listening to the life of what they went through. Yeah, a good amount of them are victims of shit like this. Yeah, that is. I can't even imagine. And my heart goes out to anybody that's going through that because that's absolutely horrible. Right? Because they're like, I have to live through this mm-hmm. person doing something bad to me and then they may get off or get something. Yeah. And I have to somehow find justice in this system. Yeah. And so I drink my way through this reality. Like, mm-hmm. it is the perpetuation of it. It's put it on by things like that. That's what I'm saying. Some of that needs to come to a head. Like, you need to shorten that timeline and be definitive. It is now. I will not say the system is a hundred percent right, and there. I mean, what yeah. if we can name a system that will be? Let's go ahead and right. start doing that. The let's system stop. is fucked up and Man, broken. <laughs> my, my, my stepfather used to always tell me, he's like, "Don't just come to me and just say problems if you don't have at least a solution." Yeah, yeah. If you're gonna sit here and complain about what's going on, and you don't have any other way that we're doing this, then tell me you need to vent. Yeah, and we're just gonna go back to work. Yeah. Because we can't sit here and say that this system is so fucked up. Yeah. But nobody has an answer for this. So, yes, there is going to be a percentage, kind of like Neo, Uh an inevitability of some people that may be innocent that may die. 
Uh-huh. It's inevitable. I Those mean, are numbers. Happened. Yeah, it's it's definitely now what we need to do is kill out the prejudices of shit, and that's why I'm going to the latter part of it. Oh yeah, the latter part the is third part. Huh? Yeah, uh, it, all, it all is. It ends with that and understanding of there is the inconsistency of who are deemed worthy to be in that situation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's because of the front force that has been used with police and the yeah. front of the people that bring them in to be presented to, before the system. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, and especially cause I, I was reading something and we'll go more into it. When we go into um, that's Keith case. I wanted to do, but they were saying that the death penalty, you're more likely to get the death penalty. If your victim was white, so regardless if you're white, black, Mexican, whatever it is, if your victim is, was uh, white, yeah, 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 you're more likely to get sentenced to death. Especially a white male. Oh my fucking god. Oh, no, a white not. woman. Oh, if you get a, if you kill if you kill a white woman. Oh, you're done. You're, you're dead. Oh, you're done. You're dead. So I'm surprised they even give you a trial at that. Point. They don't. Yeah. Some of them they don't. They just kick your ass outside and shoot you and lynch you. They shoot and lynch. This old shooting lynch. They, you know, you know it's a, it's that, that's a, that's original America day. Yeah. They hang you and shoot you while you're up there. Tell uh, they son, like you no. practice shooting, son. Look them in the eye when they're dead. Don't you look away, boy. You seen Game of Thrones? Don't you yeah. look away. This is that moment. This is that freaking. Oh my gosh. And Blood. that's what we bring. That's what we talk about. Like the friends, like Cedric and Donald. Mm-hmm. They got, I mean, shoot, the only thing they didn't get was the death penalty, but damn, they going to be in there forever. I mean, these were 18, they was 18 and 20. Yeah, you and made examples be. of them. Yeah. In which it is too much in, in of that not given true justice. Justice is a figurine, and I'm going by you guys' own example. She's a figurine that has masked her eyes. Mm-hmm. There's supposed to be a reason for that. It's not, a, it's not honestly, and the crazy thing is not a fucking metaphor. You can make it metaphorical for all the fucking thing, and that's the crazy thing. Sometimes even with the Bible, some of the stuff is not metaphorical; it's like literal, literal. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like she's saying, "I'm not. I don't care who you are. You can be my own mom." When I hear the facts, that's why her eyes are blind. When I hear the truth, yeah, I'm gonna justly cause to every fucking one. And I, I the crazy thing is, is if I feel like it, any system did that. Like, really, by the books, did that type mm-hmm. of stuff? Kind of, uh, there is gray, and life is kind of gray. Yeah. But shorten that gray area? Yeah. We would all feel like it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like you got a job, like you working at the ones that's crazy. I'm not going to name big company names, because yeah. I'm not going to stand and get sued by them. Yeah, unless but y'all you know who the, the big show, ones no? that does. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, and I work four hours a week, 12-hour days and shit at these companies and shit yeah. like that, and they treat you like a goddamn number. Because that's all, all you that. are is a number. That's it. Right. But when they get your numbers wrong and you call them in and they be like, well, this is that. This is the day that you actually came in. You didn't come in at that time. When they have it on a calculated clock yeah. of what you actually did for the punches that you had and you talking about your shit is short, you be mad as fuck. But at the same time, you be like, well, at least they fucking know. Yeah. Right. So when they overpay you and you be like, I, I got overpaid, you kind of don't even want to say shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, I must have done something. I don't yeah. know what I did. Yeah, but... But I done what I needed I'm to do. I'm not saying shit about no overpay. To get paid. <laughs> yeah. But you, you, you see what I'm saying? It is with more confidence of it. Yeah. Because some people get overpaid and they just won't even accept the check. Yeah. I don't... Yeah, I don't I don't understand those people's brainwaves. No, it is different in which they feel like they, there could be something that could be uh, taken from them later. Yeah, and that can happen, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah, it definitely can happen. So you'll draw a paranoia on the other side. Yeah. Just because some people look at that as a blessing. It is not a blessing to everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is a showing of inconsistency yeah. of what is treated fair. 
Yeah, and this and this whole justice system is a lot of inconsistencies. You know, there is what lot. I'm saying. Now, yeah. If you guys had consistency, yeah, of what is fair, I feel like at first it'd be kind of wild, but we would all adhere because it'd be like that. That shit was fair. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to see one person did the exact same crime you did, and they got maybe like three years, but you're in here for like 20. You, like, man, you're here for 40 fucking years yeah. off of sitting in the back seat. Yeah. And like, then coming up and saving a person's life. Yeah. That's the at the end of the day is oh, yeah. a murderer who has shot a person in the head twice. Right. Now, that's a scenario that I'm like, you guys aren't paying attention to. Right. There's somebody who just jumped out of a fucking car, shot a person in the head twice, yeah. and then told you to go check on this other body. Yeah. What you think you're going to do? And, and, and they're holding the gun still in their hand, smoking still. Right. And my thing was, he could have he could have went ahead and fired a shot. He didn't. He lied to him and said, hey, she was dead. Right. And then went back. So she's alive, really, because, because of him. Because of him. You yeah. saved someone's life. That's what yeah. I'm saying is, you was the person that never shot the shot at her. Yeah. You're not even the reason why she's faking like like she's dead. Yeah. But yet you're in here for the rest of your life. How is that? Funny? How does that work? Yeah. How the fuck is that even fair? I don't feel like that's under fair. the grounds of what I understand is you were kidnapped. Yeah. And forced into this situation. You're a victim too. Yeah. That's how I look at that. Yeah. But that's how I'm saying that you guys don't put the same system because you, another person, if they had enough money, they had enough fairness of skin. Oh yeah. They would sit here and be a victim and be like, they, I was crying. I had nothing to do with that. They can, yeah. You know what I'm saying? You had a president shoot a person in the fucking face and he got away with it. Right. I mean, I'm willing to bet you that, yeah, you're right. If he was a white boy who basically had a really good attorney, because he probably just had a public defender. That's the other thing. Yeah. And they don't give two shits. Yeah. So I bet you that he, them two would have got out of it. I think they would have been home. They probably maybe did some jail time. They would have been home talking about, they would have been home in therapy talking about how they was traumatized. Yeah. And being kidnapped and forced to be in that situation that they didn't want to be in. They would have been a whole, they'd been a TV show about that. Yeah. But instead, they're in prison for the rest of their life. And it's only because... The system is not just in that way of you, who you propagate to bring into the system of who is wrong and right. Yeah. You guys do not look at the people. You look at the skin first. Mm-hmm. You look at the interaction first and you look at the example you want to make. Yeah. There's a lot of times, and that we even say that. We've said that as, as, as a race of as people of darker skin, anybody, browner of skin, Latinos, blacks, yeah. cele- well, you will see something happen to a celebrity and you'll be like, they made an example of them. Mm-hmm. They didn't write that down. Yeah. But we all know Yeah. that you guys made an example of that person. Yeah. They're, they're, they're talking about that with the Britney Griner situation. That's a prime example. Yeah. Example. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Well, you're like, damn, they threw the book at them. Damn. That, right. And you're like, but you're like, I see what you guys are showing us what you could do to people. Yeah. Yeah, I and I see it all the time. You're getting made an example of. Right? But that's not just. Uh-uh. That's that old knighthood fears type of tactics. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was bringing up the whole Lord of the Rings example for. That's that old Lancelot type of tactics. Yeah. Where you scare us into fucking just submitting to you. Yeah. Instead of being truthful with us and, and treating us like we are people that actually have half a brain. Yeah. I think... I think honestly, there should be. I, if you think about, it, there should be like literally a law book of how much time you get for this. If you think about, it, we don't have an actual book. How much time this warrants? How much time you know this warrants? Because now it just feels like they just do whatever they want to based on how they're feeling. And then your jury too. Your jury plays a big deal on it. 
Like, even though he was guilty, but you're supposed to have a, a jury of your peers. So how is an all-white jury a jury of your peers? Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be a mixture. Because you know the, the white people, even though he was guilty, he deserved what he got. But they already came in thinking you're guilty. And in a court of trial, that's all bad. If your jury already knows you're guilty, I don't care. They probably wasn't even listening to the evidence. They're probably like, I, this is going to be guilty. If this is our <laughs> right, why is it so hard for us to get access to it, understanding it? Right. As everyone, as normal citizens, why is it so hard for us to understand our own rights? Yeah, absolutely. And why is it so easy for you guys to use it to whatever advantage it seems like you choose? It's yeah. what a lot of, that's why I'm saying to people that brown or skin, they feel that way. Yeah. They know it. Absolutely. And it's really sad because there's a lot of lives that has been ruined. There's a lot of, you know, they say too, like if you're black or brown, you're more than likely to be wrongfully committed, convicted of murders. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot. You're, you're highly likely to be convicted of a guy down the street sit here and shoot somebody. And if he just knows your name, you'd be like, damn, I'm going to jail. Yeah. Like, damn. Oh my God. That is so, like, that's so horrible. The justice system is so fucked up. Like we definitely need more advocates. I just don't know what the answer is. The coldest part is I don't think the system itself is that fucked up. I think, like I said, it is the ambassadors in which you pull it in. Mm-hmm. The people that you have appointed in which pulling it in needs to be more honorable and more stringent of what they have or the, the setting of it. And you guys setting of the rules of what you have, it may suck, <coughs> but if you have a white guy that, that 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 deals cocaine, he gets fifteen fucking years or fifty years. Well, he not fifteen or fifty. That's too much. Money. Yeah, <laughs> he gets fifty years. Yeah, and the black guy gets fifty years too. Y'all yeah. all get fifty fucking years. Yeah, like it doesn't matter how much you got. It doesn't matter how much money you pay. Yeah. It doesn't matter the payoff. This is just. I'm sorry, the standard. Oh, you're absolutely right. Because the better your lawyer, the more you get off too. If you're like a white rich guy, of course you're going to be able to afford the best lawyer. You right. know what I mean? To that's the point where look- you just now you're going to counsel and now you're just going over to you know a yeah. medical thing and you're not even going to jail and all the stuff. Or you get house arrest, so you get to right. just be in your plushy little house and not having to do no jail time. Like what the fuck is that? Like if there's a st- that, you know what I mean. That's why I'm like it's too many loopholes in which like the, the lawyers talk it through with this is a substantiary where it it's it shouldn't be. Mm-mm. I don't know how true it is, but have you heard that public defenders and prosecutors actually go to lunch together and stuff? I don't know how yeah. true that is, but yeah, yeah, they actually. I mean, so they usually the funny. It's not even funny, but I've but I've heard it from people that have, I've haven't seen it, mm-hmm. but I've heard it from people that were incarcerated and them saying that they were brought in a waiting room and being able to see it, mm-hmm. and I've heard it from a receptionist. But they were saying that they make the deal with what's going to happen with your case before you even fucking go in the courtroom. Mm. They talk it over at lunch mm-hmm. and talk over what will work the best on both sides. Yeah. Just in the bait, just kind of in a rebuttal, like how you seen uh, Liar Liar with Jim Carrey. Oh, yeah. And it's like, what's your move? Well, my move is that it's oh, going to yeah. be, you have no case. Yeah. It's not this. Like, oh, well, if you come with that, and they just kind of talk yeah. it out there. Yeah. And that's the thing with these It's feel like they branding it, and then they just kind of formulate, kind of like doing Monopoly. Yeah. Playing a game Monopoly, like, well, let's both just come to a compromise. And yeah. You say this, and I'm going to say that. And, that's and we when, both don't look bad. Right, and that's when they come to you with these plea deals. And honestly, I don't know how much I feel about plea deals. You know what I mean? Because plea deals, it's like if you have a choice between death penalty or life with no parole, and they come at you and they say, okay, well, if you say you're guilty, you'll get 40 years instead. It's like, of course, even if I'm not guilty, I'm so scared to go, if I go to trial and lose, I'm right. going to go ahead and take the 40 years and say I'm guilty. Right. So I don't know how I feel about plea deals. And no. you don't know how this whole thing is going to play out and what they're going to say yeah. is what you did and what you're going to say is did right. Because you're like, 
uh, what you know like they, what they bring out what they won't take out what they won't but what they won't say is admissible yeah what they will it's it's you just really putting your stuff up to the face of just them and their deal that they're gonna make yeah what they feel is gonna be reasonable at the end of the day yeah absolutely so that's why i'm like if there's no choice that we have anyway stop taking the illusion of choice from us for real that's what I think. Well, I think we already covered with all that the stupidest part of this crime. What do you think the stupidest part of this? You always go the stupidest part, girl. I never say stupidest. Part. No, I was. I always ask you. What do you think the stupidest part? <laughs> My whole thing is I go back to the Mercedes Benz can't drive. What do you think your stup- the stupidest part was? I think this is all a shame. I can't say stupidest part, um, but I will say that I. That's the part that that, that I feel is the most. That's the bar makes this the biggest loss. Mm-hmm. You shot, you shot, you wanted two people dead for something that you, once you even had it, you didn't even know to do it. Right. Well, everyone, I think that's the show. Um, so, oh, next week, you know what we're talking about next week? No. I kind of told you, Chris Watts. You keep saying these names like they're famous basketball players. Oh, where are we? I tell you that. You, these are not LeBron James. Chris Watts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be like, oh. The crowd, the crowd goes wild. <sighs> like, I don't know, Chris Watts. Oh, you're going to learn about him. It's uh, the guy that killed his whole family. But we'll talk about that next week. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah. attitude. Yeah, that's the attitude. The guy that killed his whole family. <laughs> Anyways, He's awesome. Yo, in the meantime, please follow us on Instagram at The Hot Garbage Show. Take care and watch your back out there.